New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Would you like to have access to the dimension of yourself that is infinite? Would you like to be able to recognize and dissolve the blocks that get in the way of your true nature expressing itself and have tailor-made practices to replace automatic habits with new creative possibilities? Our guest today says the point of being coached is to remember who you truly are, to remember why you came, and to remember the gift waiting inside you to be given. He also believes that this is the meaning of awakening, and all that stands in the way is endless distraction. Today we'll be exploring just what awakening means and how it can unfold in our lives with our guest Arjuna Arda. Arjuna Arda is a writer, public speaker, and founder of the Awakening Coaching Training in Nevada City, California. It's a training program dedicated to the awakening of consciousness within the context of ordinary life. He's the author of many books, including The Translucent Revolution, Leap Before You Look, 72 Shortcuts for Getting Out of Your Mind and Into the Moment, Last Laugh, and Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. Join us for the next hour as we explore getting to know who we truly are as we look at getting back to our essential roots of being with our guest, Arjuna Arda. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Arjuna, welcome. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you again. It's wonderful to sit across from you once more. Mm. Well, uh, let's just start with what is the difference between psychotherapy and coaching? Oh, that's a really great question. You know, um, the I think the best uh, picture we could paint, the best analogy would be if you go to the gym, right? So if you go to the gym and you work with a trainer, you need to be in more or less good health. You know, you need you, you need your limbs all working in decent condition, and then you can really work out and get and get even stronger and healthier and fitter. On the other hand, if you had a torn ligament in your knee, right now, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you a bad person. It's just you've got a torn ligament in your knee, and it needs to be repaired. Then you wouldn't go to the gym to a trainer. You would go to somebody, a surgeon or a doctor or somebody or a physical therapist who knows how to repair torn ligaments. You know. And then once it's healed, you could go to the gym, right? And just the same way, um, when I talk about 
a torn ligament or any kind of physical difficulty, people are very neutral about that generally in our society. That's perfectly okay. When it comes to mental or emotional illness, which is just another affliction, it's just a, an imbalance of brain chemistry that anybody could get that and can be healed from it, uh, we have a lot, of, lot more judgments and stigma about it. But if you have, for example, anxiety, depression, you know, it could even be bipolar disorder, these things can be treated through therapy and through, um, through, through the pharmaceuticals, but it needs to be done by somebody who knows what they're doing. So if there's some kind of mental or emotional disturbance, better to work with a therapist. If you're in pretty much average condition, but you want to really explore the deeper potential, then coaching is the, the way to go. And you, you could also do them both in tandem, uh, there, some people do that too. You is that could, right? yeah, you could. Then you need to make sure that the psychotherapist is really on board with that. Then in, in that situation, I would leave it up to the psychotherapist to decide if that was a good idea. Right, right. Mm. I know that you talk about um, the enlightenment, mm. and that's something, a word that has filtered into our Western culture, mostly coming from the East mm -hmm. for many decades now. Mm. And you make a distinction between enlightenment and uh, awakening. Mm -hmm. So let, let's talk about that. Sure. Well, um, this is perhaps going to be a little controversial, but um, I would say, Justine, that enlightenment is uh, a concept um, which, when we really explore it and examine it, does not have a whole lot of substance behind it. Now, the reason I say this is I wrote this book, which you were kind enough to um to talk about on your show years ago, The Translucent Revolution. In order to write that book, I uh, interviewed 170 experts in the field of consciousness, people like Eckhart Tolle, Baron Katie, Ram Das, and so everybody you can imagine. What I discovered was that um, when people do talk about enlightenment, they, they really don't agree on what it means. It's not a word with one fixed meaning, right? When people do speak of enlightenment, generally, the people who talk about it, either it's a future state they're fantasizing, it's not describing their experience now, or it's describing somebody else they have put on a pedestal. In any scenario, it means the word is being used to describe something conceptual. Now, when a word is used to describe something conceptual, it's no longer in the realm of reality or fact. It's a belief. And when it comes to beliefs, we can't really speak about what's true or untrue because it's a belief. We can only speak about if it's useful or not useful. Now, now if we use it like, um, I've had an enlightened moment, hmm. you know, like there, there are these moments yeah. of enlightenment I, sure. I, I, is the way I hold it. Like, yeah, and, sure. Well, uh, so there, there, it's maybe not a state that I, I arrive at. I'm with you. Well, to make that distinction, when we're talking about a moment, I talk about awakening because awakening is a gerund. You know, it's ing. It's like swimming, you know, <laughs> golfing, right? Those so are things that happen. it's unfolding. It's unfolding. And those, swimming is always happening in the moment. You never, you don't say, oh, I, I am swimmed. You say I'm swimming or I'm not swimming, right? So there's a moment of awakening. But when we start to talk about enlightened, it suggests some state of arrival, and that I would say is fictitious. You know, it, it, there isn't anything like that. It, and I know that you've described in your book very carefully, and I, I really read this like mm. enlightened has an ed on the end. Exactly, enlightened, yeah. like it is a place, like I it's mean, like it's like a state a of arrival state or an of arrival. Yeah, and awakening has mm. ing. Mm. 
uh, swimming, awakening. It, it, it has a lot of motion to it, doesn't it? Right. Now, the thing is, Justine, these are not just semantic differences. They, how we hold these things determines the entire quality of our life. Because, you see, if you hold on to an idea of enlightened and it's in the future or it's projected onto somebody else, what does that do to the quality of the present moment? If you hold this idea that there's something wrong with you now and you should be in another state, what does that do to your capacity to love or connect with people or give your gift or, 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 or all of the other things that are possible right now? So actually, it's a strange thing. When we mature beyond the idea of enlightenment, that I would say is the real revolution. Not that you become enlightened, but that you finally flush on the concept of a state of arrival better than this one. Then you are here. You're right here, able to give your gift and your love fully in this moment. That's beautiful. And what you have done and what you're exploring and what you teach and your life is full of at this moment is something called awakening coaching. Coaching, yeah. So <laughs> what, give us a little flavor. There are lots of different coaching methods. Yes. And in this particular method, what are you going for? Great. Okay. So the difference between awakening coaching and, say, life coaching, for example, is that very often life coaching um, focuses on helping the coaching client or the coachee to fulfill their goals. So they have predetermined goals and you fulfill them. Right. So an example would be make more money, to make more money, find a relationship, um, yeah. lose weight, exactly. something. Yeah. yeah, or achieve certain outcomes. Yeah. So we do work with that, but the difference is that we really start with this fundamental question of what is your deepest longing? See, now money would be a really good example because people say they want money, but what does money on its own actually give you? It doesn't give you anything, you know. It's uh, well, it would be like if I had an assured income, I would feel more secure. Yes, exactly. But you see, so actually, what you really long for is to feel secure. And maybe if we support you to feel secure, money will take care of itself. You see, that's a really good example. So that's how we work. You see, is we. We find out what is your deepest longing. And what we discover when we explore this is the deepest longing, if you trace it back, the deepest longing in everyone, actually, when you explore it, is for something that's hard to describe. You could call it resting. You could call it peace. You could call it relaxation flow. You could call it like being connected to love. But these are actually the, the deepest longing is to return to who you really are prior to the hypnosis of separation. One of the words that I use for that state for myself often is a sense of spaciousness. Yes, spaciousness, yeah. And that's that's a word that has meaning for me. Totally, yeah, that's know. exactly right. That's, uh, I think, one of the um, primary ways to identify awakening is that you turn the attention towards your true nature and you discover there's no limits. There's a beautiful example of someone that you you mention in your book and it's a it's a man i i don't remember the full story but i remember he gets up early in the morning he's still in his pajamas and he feels compelled ah, to just go take a walk he's a local boy lloyd minthorne he lives just down the road oh yeah. i love that can, can you describe what that that incident was for him yeah and it's actually a very good example um, he was having a lot of trouble. He was a um, massage therapist. He'd been working in the office of a chiropractor. The chiropractor had not paid him for a long time. He had to get a lawyer. So he was really caught in this drama. 
And as sometimes happens, you know, you, when, you, when you're caught in a very difficult situation, you can't sleep. So he woke up very early in the morning and he walked up onto the hill in behind where he lived in, I think, in San Rafael or something. It was very, very early in the morning. There were a bunch of wild turkeys there, right? And suddenly something shifted and his mind stopped. And he could actually feel the, the connection with these wild animals and you could feel the spaciousness. And he suddenly realized in this flood, he realized that everything's okay. You know, it's like, it's, it's all a game and everything's happening exactly as it should. And he felt incredible peace. Now, the interesting thing though about that story is although that moment was very profound for him and changed a lot of things, it actually receded and then became very frustrating. And that's what's happened to a lot of people in the last 20 years or so. We've had profound moments of this kind of opening, but then it closes again. And that's why we've developed this coaching method because We've, we've created a very powerful, repeatable, reliable technology to help people connect to their true nature whenever they need to and to sustain it in day-to-day -day life. However, mm. once we have one of those profound moments, does the door close back all the way maybe maybe there's some frustration we can't feel it anymore mm. we can't get in touch with it at, at a moment's notice but once we've experienced it and felt it in our bodies mm -hmm. I, I think it, it never quite goes away it's kind mm. of something that that we have access to mm. and we'll talk about that in just one moment i'm here with arjuna arda mm. and he's the author of Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, arjunaarda.com. And that's he spells his name A-R-J-U-N-A, Arda, A-R-D, as in David, A-G-H.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Arjuna Arda, and he's the author of Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching, and he is the founder of Awakening Coaching Training. Arjuna, we were talking about those mystical moments, those moments when we're totally present and awake, mm. and I was suggesting that the door doesn't close all the way, once we've experienced that it's and, and really, truly experienced it in our body, 
often that's a time in nature that mm. that, that can happen, but mm-hmm. it can happen with music or it can happen other ways. So does the door ever really totally close? Well, you know, I I tend to be incredibly pragmatic about these things. And um, whether there is a door or not, <laughs> and whether it closes or not, I can't really say. What I, what I know is, this is what I know about my clients when I coach and, and, and my students' clients, is most human beings have incredible gifts to give to the world. They have so much love to give, so much creativity. If we could actually gather up the potential inside all of the human beings on the planet, we would solve all our problems overnight. But people's true gifts and true potential is held back through all sorts of unconscious habits. And that's what I look for is whether or not you've had a peak experience and whether or not you can access again is almost somewhat irrelevant and narcissistic relative to the possibility of fully giving the gift you were born to give. And that's really the focus of everything we do is to unlock the potential inside everybody to love, to create, to provide solutions to problems, to leave the planet and everybody around them in a way better state than when they arrived. So in, you talk about the different brilliances, and that's mm. one of the brilliances is to really get in touch with that gift we have to give. Some might call it our life assignment mm-hmm. and to get in touch mm. with that. And it's something that is is even more than what we do. Can you speak about what that gift is? Yeah. So, you know, it's a remarkable thing. You and I were sitting here and we've got our thumbs, you know, and the thumbprint is unique. It's it, it, that the thumbprint on your thumb and my thumb, nobody else has that thumbprint. And I have a friend who works at Scotland Yard in London. He says it's not just today, but nobody in all of recorded history has ever had the same thumbprint as you. That means that this particular little signature, it's only Justine Willits Tom's, nobody else, right? Same thing, no one else looks quite the same way you do. We could, you know, you look very similar to um, uh, Cameron Diaz, but if we got you close together, we would actually be able to tell the subtle difference between you, right? Uh, so th- there's unique thumbprint, unique facial expression, but there's also a unique energetic signature, which, and that's the unique gift. It's like, if we had a party, there would be a quality you would bring, Justine, that nobody else brings in the same way. You know, some people bring laughter, some people bring insight, some people bring compassion and a unique energetic blend. Now, in our society, unfortunately, because we're so commercialized and so institutionalized, we translate that unique gift into what do you do? What's your job? But that's just the expression of the gift. That's just a convenient channel for the gift to flow down. The gift is a unique energetic blueprint that you had as a child before you did any job. You have it on vacation when you're not working. It's who you are. It's the it's the tune you came to play. You know, that, that goes along. We recently, uh, an interview that we had that some of our listeners would know with uh, Rona Renner, who's a nurse, and she talks about mm. the babies. Mm. They come in. I mean, she's worked with a lot of babies, and they're not a blank tablet when they mm. come in. They have a temperament. They mm. Each one has a different thing that they've come in with. So yeah. it really goes along with what you're saying. Except, unfortunately, sad to say, we are born that way. But in almost everybody, the gift gets covered over by shoulds and shouldn'ts by things we don't want to experience, by beliefs, by conditioning. And so, unfortunately, most people, they get beaten down 
long before they have a chance to really give what they came to give. In the book, I talk about both of my grandfathers, you know, neither of whom really ever, they knew, they knew as a young man what they wanted to give, but they never really got to live their life that way. So that's, I think, one of the most important things about coaching is not just that we help you to make more money or achieve your goals, but to really feel what's it going to take so that one day you can breathe your last breath and with a sigh and say, yes, I gave it all. There's no regret. I did it all. And, you know, in a leap of, of probably obnoxious arrogance, I'm going to say, you know, that's the gift that I've been given and the gift that I can pass on is I've had my ups and downs. I've got my foibles, but I'm completely living the gift that I came to live. And so are the people I work with. And that becomes infectious, you see, because once you fall into that rhythm of like everything, every moment is spent singing the song you were born to sing, it becomes infectious. And then you just can't tolerate seeing anything less than that in other people. That's the gift of coaching. That, that, that reminds me of the uh, one of the brilliances is, is that, that kind of support yes. that you give. Inspired it's certainty. Inspired yeah. certainty. And yeah. you tell a great story on yourself about learning Skiing? to ski. Yeah. And I, it's a great example sure. of somebody who transferred to you this yeah. inspired certainty. You want the story? I would love it. Okay. Well, I'm now, I'm 57, you know. Uh, but when I was in my early 40s, I moved to the Sierra Nevada mountains near here, um, Nevada City. And as you can see, I'm like a stick insect, you know. So um, when I first went skiing. Meaning you're very tall and, very and, thin. and, and yeah. lean. Or Closest thin. thing you've ever seen to a daddy long leg. So, <laughs> so I, when I went skiing first time, I was really concerned I was going to break bones, you know, because it was like, it looks very brittle, all this, you know. Anyway, third or fourth time I went, they, 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 they have um, these posts, you know, level one, level two, level three, level four, these flags. So I went along to get my lesson and I ended up, I was the only one in my group. So I ended up with this young New Zealand man. He's about 19. He said, hey, come on, mate, take you up on the ski lift. So uh, we go and we sit down on the ski lift together and the ski lift is going up and up and up and up. And then it levels off and he goes up and up and up. So we made it right to the top of the mountain. You're like, I don't know, 14,000 feet or something. We're in a blizzard, right? And I'm saying to him, I, 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 I can't hear you, mate. Sorry, can't hear anything. No, I, I'm a beginner. I said, ah, can't hear anything. Come on, mate, we'll get down. So he starts skiing and I, and I managed, managed to catch his attention. He said, oh, don't worry, mate. He said, look, you just lean to the left and you go left, lean to the right, you go right. Easy, right? Well, the, the, the slope we were going down was like a black diamond. It was, you know, it was going straight down. <laughs> but somehow he was so sure that this was easy. It was like, this is a piece of cake. No problem, mate. You know, that I actually did lean to the left. And I believe me, I fell down plenty, but I le did lean to the left and I did go left instead of going straight down. And then I leaned to the right and I did go right. I fell down plenty of times. But by the time we made it to the bottom, you know, half an hour later, I was alive. Great triumph, right? And <laughs> no broken bones. No broken bones. And he said, uh, well, you're a little rusty for a level three stick skier. I said, I'm not a level three skier. I've done three lessons of level one. He said, oh, you must have ended up in the wrong group. Never mind, mate. You did fine, you know? Uh -huh. So anyway, the thing was, he didn't teach me masterful skiing in five minutes. He taught me inspired certainty. He was confident that I could do it. And that became infectious. Now, in just the same way, if we translate that in awakening coaching, a good awakening coach can hear your personal struggles, which are completely normal and human. A 
a good coach can hear, I understand you've got this thing with money, you've got this thing with relationship, this thing with your health, all of that is understandable and troubling, but I can see through the story. I can see right through all of that into your essence and I can see spaciousness there, there's, looking back. There's another story of one of your coaches where she was with a, a young man. He was a gay artist, but he was working mm. at something else. Mm. And when she said that, she said, him, I see you. I see, I see you. you. Yeah. He, for some reason, burst really felt yeah. that she did, and yeah. he did. He yeah. burst yeah. into yeah. tears. And that's, you know, that's, that's that, that slogan in the Avatar movie, James Cameron, yes. I see you, you know, I see you. And that's, the, that's really the key, you know, that's what people are crying out for, is to be seen, to, to be seen beyond the story that we can really meet, and I can, I can see beyond a good coach can see beyond the packaging of your personal story at this time and see the brilliance that wants now, to shine now, through. Sometimes if we're, we're in psychotherapy or whatever, and I'm not putting down psychotherapy no, in any way. Important. It can be very, very important. But sometimes we can get really caught up in our story and we tell it you know, over and over. Uh, I have a dear, dear friend. She's now in her mid-70s, and she is still talking about whatever happened to her when she was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. I am so tired of it. Yeah. And, and I just I just wonder, when is she going to just pop out of that and go into a new story? Well, you know, the way I look at it, Justine, is there are no rules. You know, this is a playground. It's like going to Disneyland. I and mean, they must have hundreds of rides at Disneyland, you know. Some of the rides go, woo, you know, go up, 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 and wee down, you know, they're kind of, you splash. Some of the rides, you just sit on a little thing and it goes around, tinkle, 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 you know. And there's no rules. You can do any ride you want. You could spend the whole day on a little ride that goes around. You could spend the whole day in the, in the horror chamber if you want to, right? So, or the little teacups. Yeah, know. exactly. So there's no rules. You can take any ride you want. So I try to look at it like this. If, if she finds regurgitating childhood to be the ride that she wants, some people choose being in prison for decades as the ride they've chosen, you know. What I like to do is to remind people of their choice, to remind people that you can choose whatever ride you want. And if the ride you're on is feeling unsatisfactory to you, like obsessing with childhood or obsessing with money or whatever, I can show you how to choose a different ride. I, I have to challenge you a bit about uh, choosing prison yeah. because there's certain racial profiling yes, and yes, certain yes. people grow up in certain neighborhoods. People uh, have a, a family history that, that they're, right. you know. But I, so, you know, it's not a conscious choice. You're not saying yeah, yeah. That, that, that that's a conscious choice, that they're, no, they're that's, that's a good mitigating. Point. It's, it's uh Thank you for the correction, because um, we could have said the same about, you know, illness, which is, again, doesn't appear to be a conscious choice. I think it's just important to, that what, what's beneficial about seeing that way is to not judge people as, uh, that you, you, you're stupid or you're wrong. It's like, there's no rules to say how you should lead this life. I mean, for example, Nelson Mandela spent decades in prison. That doesn't make him a bad man or a stupid man. It was part of the unfolding of his destiny, which actually led to him ending apartheid. So you never know why people are on the ride they're on. We don't even know right. sometimes why we're on the ride we're on. But we can learn to exert more conscious choice. And that is where awakening coaching is helpful. So it's like uh, 
being able to separate ourselves from this situation we're in in some way. Yeah. Are, are you saying? Is well, it- the, the key to it, there are lots of, you know, I'm not claiming to be the ultimate authority on everything, but it can tell you in our system, the key to the whole thing has to do with resistance. Okay. Now there's an old phrase that I believe is attributed to Werner Erhardt from S where he, I believe he said, whatever you resist persists. And it's really true, you know, our lives, the narrative of our life story is really dictated by a set of unique resistances. We'll talk more about that in just one moment. I'm here with Arjuna Arda. He's the author of Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, arjunaarda.com. That's A R J U N A. A-R-D-A-G-H dot com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Arjuna Arda. He's the author of Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching, and he's also the founder of Awakening Coaching Training. Arjuna, we were just getting into this larger subject called resistance. Mm-hmm. And so what is it? Why do we why does it come up and mm-hmm. what can you say to help us? Sure. understand and get beyond it sure well justine we before the break we were just talking about how uh the narrative of somebody's life life story is really dictated by a unique set of resistances for example i worked with a man um many years ago now who whose personal net worth was 270 million dollars that's a lot of money right he owned a big company in Colorado, architecture construction company, $270 million assets in the bank, right? That guy was up early in the morning. He was the first one in the office before 8 a.m., before anybody else arrived. He unlocked the door himself, the last one to leave at night. He was 65 years old, right? So what do you think was driving that guy's life? You know, he would wake up in the morning. As soon as he could remember where he was, uh, something would lock in and he would rush to the office. That guy was driven by a resistance to experiencing there's not enough. See, his life was actually dictated. The narrative of his life was dictated by the thought there's not enough and an immediate flinching to want that to not be true. But it didn't matter how much money he made, he was still resisting the frequency of there's not enough. Now, we could extrapolate that out. So if somebody feels nobody likes me, their entire life story is dictated by the need to be popular or something terrible is going to happen, then we invest all our money in insurance and locks. and you know. So basically, whatever we resist de- de- determines the quality of our life. Now, you can once you recognize that, you can put lots of energy into cognitive behavioral change, et cetera, but it takes a long, long, long time. The, but but, but hmm. I just want to, it just occurs to me, Arjuna, 
what we resist persist mm-hmm. you said um and and that i i agree with that statement i mm-hmm. in my at least in my experience but sometimes those resistances lead to something very beneficial for other people think you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah but we could also we could make that same contribution from free choice rather uh. than from contraction well let me explain how we work with this can i all right because once we can determine what these frequencies are it's actually a frequency that's being resisted you see like like nobody likes me that's a thought it's an emotion but it's also just a buzz like an like a piece of music almost like a buzzing thing so once we have access to limitless consciousness which we call radical awakening that's a mainstay of our work we we pride ourselves on being able to guide anybody into a true experience of awakening in 10 minutes or less okay so once the coaching client has access to limitless consciousness you actually unvelcro yourself from the fabric of the mind which means now you can experience these things from from this more spacious state but well, once you've done that it's like quantum physics now you can actually play with these energies and it's possible to take the resistance off a frequency like this in a very very short period of time the book describes it it's called radical releasing it takes a few minutes uh, but the book also has you probably know it has links in the book to a website which is part of the price you pay for the book where you can actually hear this demonstrated mm-hmm. And you'll hear again and again people when they're able to operate at this quantum level they can take the resistance of a frequency very very easily very efficiently and here's the great news I can't say 100% that would be lying but about 80% of the time when you unresist a frequency it stays unresisted there's about 20% that persist then you need to do it again or a few times in over the course of weeks in the coaching relationship now now if you it's so but you have to unhook from a lot of different habits and beliefs not not just one i mean if you just mm. unhook from one specific one there are others that you yeah. have to work on it's not like yeah. okay well now i've arrived i'm awakened yeah. and i'm no, no. i'm free no so what we've discovered is these kind of resistances resisted contractions they 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 operate in clusters around particular issues so and usually you f- you discover them when an p- important decision has to be made. So when there's a decision, you know, should I stay in my job or change my job, then you just get, it's like waking up a uh, some sleeping bees, you know. <laughs> Suddenly you've got this 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 um cloud of of buzzing frequencies like there's not enough money, uh, something terrible is going to happen, I uh, I'm irresponsible, you're going to get a whole bunch of these frequencies around who I am and what reality is. So then we clear them and the way we clear them is to assist the client the coaching client to get back to a condition that we call clear seeing and that means around the decision you test it because when you've cleared them you just know what is right there's no more there's no more indecision you just know and just knowing might include it's clearly not the right time to take action right now so you're you, what what I'm getting from what you're saying is that we can approach some big change in a very rational way we can use our intellect and we can make lists and put something on the left side yeah, and why yeah. it's good and why it's bad and we can do that, all that of that won't resolve it but it you're talking about coming from a deeper level of knowing yeah. how to proceed well all those conflicting points of view that you'd put on the left side and the right side 
those are caused by resisted frequencies. When you clear the resisted frequencies, you simply know. It's like things are silent and still inwardly, and you just know what to do outwardly. So the bees are no longer buzzing. The bees are, are, have been tamed. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that, talking about frequency and the buzzing of bees, yeah. you know, because that, that feels right in, yes. in the body, which just uh, reminds me of another big subject that, that we need to go into uh, is the difference between men and women yeah. and how they receive coaching. Very important, uh, yeah. yeah you, Before we do that, can I just go, go back to one point about the, the dissolving of resistance, yes. you see? Because oftentimes we've imported a lot of spiritual traditions from India and China and Tibet and so on, which have a very different kind of culture, which emphasizes renunciation of the world and a minimization of activity. So meditation, for example, is suitable if you're going to lead a very, very unencumbered life. But those of us in the West, many of us, we have families, we have jobs, and we have a sense of duty or responsibility to make a contribution. Then you need a different kind of practice, you see. So what we're emphasizing in our work is not just resting in spaciousness, which is like, like, like Buddha. We're emphasizing the capacity to take effective action in a doubt-free way. We're emphasizing the capacity to move in the world with precision like a warrior, that you can you can shoot your arrow and hit the target every time. It always it goes like the Buddha, you know, he left his family life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such the story. Maybe, maybe the story isn't complete. Maybe he went back into his family life and he did years and, later. And yeah. and and was able to practice in a way that was involved in wife, children, money. No, no. So but he forth. did go back and meet his son Rahul. In fact, Rahul became one of his um one of his followers. And he also went back and met his mother in law, uh, whose name I forget right now. Mm-hmm. And she actually founded the Order of Nuns that became part of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. But you know, that was fine then. We've we've evolved as as human beings. That was two and a half thousand years ago. And that was the right teaching then. But today most people are not really looking for a way to renounce the world. Most people are looking for a way to resolve their relationship with the world. You have a, a story that really points this out that was very poignant for me. A woman came to coaching, and you and you described her physically as as gray. Her hair was yeah. gray. Her clothes were gray. She's kind mm. of a gray pal- pallor to her, mm. to her being. Too much meditation. And, and so you... You're talking about like the kinds of practices that you give people are very individualized. Totally. And she, what was her her practice? Well, this brings us into the difference between masculine and feminine. You see, she had been following a hypermasculine path, okay, which means she had been first of all she'd been chasing after enlightenment, which is a hypermasculine preoccupation, and she'd been practicing silent meditation. Now, there's nothing wrong with silent meditation. It's great for the right person at the right time. It wasn't the right thing for her. So she'd been, basically, she'd been meditating for like 40 years, you know. And she, all the life had gone out of her because she was a, a woman in a woman's body. And women, actually, they come home to themselves. This is, you know, gross generalization, so excuse me. But the feminine in all of us comes home through the unencumbered capacity to feel. When a, when a woman can feel any feeling to its ultimate intensity, it will bring her home into love. So this woman you're talking about, um, I suggested to her, why don't you just 
put less emphasis on meditation for a while and actually dance to, to music and express your feelings. She followed my advice and six months later, this is in Germany, six months later she came back to another workshop and somebody had told me she was coming. So I was looking around and the only person I could see that could vaguely resemble that woman seemed to be her daughter because I could see a resemblance. But this woman was wearing brightly colored clothes. Her hair was longer. Her skin was, you know, full of color. And I thought it was the woman's daughter because it looked 20 years younger. And then said, no, this is the same woman. She was laughing. You know, she was crying easily. All of her feelings had been freed up. And that's just an example. There's nothing wrong with meditation. A hyperactive man who's lost his center and has been distracted by the world and has gone too much into feeling, daily meditation would be great for him or martial arts or qigong. But we've got to have an understanding of the right practice for the right person. A one-size-fits-all approach can be murderous to the heart. So all that self-help work, you know, where it's saying, here's what will really solve your problem. Yeah. Here are the 10 steps, the five steps. That's what worked for the author. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, yeah. So you're saying that 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 true coaching is mm. very, number one, collaborative, and number two, individualized. Yeah. So say something about that. Something about that. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so um yeah, it's absolutely true what you say. It's collaborative in the sense that um, it's important to recognize that the coach cannot fix you. It's not magic. The coach can't wave the magic wand and say, now you're better. And many people actually unconsciously want that, you know. It's I think a, we all want that yeah, magic wand. Exactly. Yeah, I do, yeah. So it's important for a coach to say, I can't do this for you. I can stand on the sidelines and cheer while you fight your own battles and you are triumphant. And I can point out to you, you know, the, the next step to take, I, or at least I can reflect to you on what you know is the next step to take so you can be triumphant. But at the end of the relationship, it's the client who says, I did it. And the coach says, congratulations. The client doesn't say, thank you, you did it for me. You see, it's a completely collaborative relationship between the coach and the client. And, and also, it becomes very individual. It's not, you mentioned several times in your writing it's not hierarchical. Right. It's anti-hierarchical. So mostly if we go to teachers or gurus, we're, we're really entering a hierarchical relationship. Very often a patriarchal yeah. relationship yes. where there's a man at the top of the right. pyramid who knows everything about everybody. This is the enlightenment myth. Right. And then there's the inner circle around and so on. And then, of course... Uh, we give away all our power and our intuition. I'm here with Arjuna Arda, and he is the author of Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Arjuna Arda, and he is the author of Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. Arjuna, we're talking about the difference between men and women and Mm. how they receive these practices and how they respond to them. Can you say more about that? Sure, Justine. You know, when we have a moment of awakening, which we've talked about already, the awakening is to spaciousness, to limitless consciousness, which is pregnant with possibility. It's the source of all love and creativity. It's your true nature. And that has no gender, clearly. When you look into the sky, the sky isn't male or female. It's just spacious, right? But as soon as that spaciousness begins to be lived in a human body, it is lived through the conditions of that body. So awakening expressed through an Indian body expresses differently than awakening expressed through a Texan body, for example. Now, the the primary distinction we can make between human beings, the first thing you notice about somebody before any other distinction is their gender. It's the fundamental distinction between people. So you're saying somebody enters a room and you think first thing you man see is, or woman, that's before right anything then else, there. Before anything else. So one of the great tragedies, really, for thousands of years is that spirituality, which means the science of fully developing yourself, has been very much dominated by the masculine. Most of these traditions have been founded by men, propagated by men, and the teachings and the practices are designed for men. Good example would be sitting meditation, okay? Now, just physiologically, sitting meditation, if you sit for a long time, what it does is it rebuilds testosterone reserves in your body. If a man sits still and watches, he increases testosterone reserve in his muscles, which combats adrenaline and cortisol, and so brings him back to a state of balance. So so people have done uh, research on this and... and and able to to actually test their yeah. their hormonal level. Totally, there's lots. While, of, there are other benefits too, yeah. you know. Right. But what I've discovered, and I'm not going to refer to research. I'd rather just rely on my own experience. What I've discovered is that sitting meditation often, not always, but often, does not have the same benefits for a woman because she has a different hormonal makeup. You see, women they balance stress cortisol and adrenaline through the the release of oxytocin into the bloodstream. And oxytocin is not built up by silent meditation. Oxytocin is is created through fully feeling your feelings, through sensory experience. For example, it sounds kind of crass, but going shopping, like going to Macy's, looking at beautiful colors and smells and textures, all of that releases oxytocin. So actually going shopping is a spiritual practice for someone with a feminine heart. Going out to lunch with other women, talking together about what you're feeling, not about business or work, but talking about what you're feeling, about movies, about relationship, it releases oxytocin. So it's important to recognize this, that for a woman, often she's much better off dancing to music and fully expressing her feelings to bring her home to herself, to love, whereas a man might be much better off going to his cave or his, you know, his private room and meditating. Now, we don't want to be fanatic about this. If a woman wants to meditate, that's fine. If a man wants to dance, that's fine. But we've got to be pragmatic and see what are the results, in, not in terms of their path to enlightenment, which I would say is, a, is an outdated concept, but what are the results in terms of their capacity to fully give their gifts today in this moment now? I, I just going along with what you're saying about the, the different hormonal aspects of men and women, the difference uh, just recently the uh, National Institute of Health, mm-hmm. who's done a lot of research, has it's been they've been called to task mm. because all most all of their research has been done with m- 
the men or like male rats, and they were saying, well, you know, it's easier to do it with them because they're they're less complicated hormonally. Mm, right. And suddenly they realize that they've been doing all of these pharmaceutical exper- experiments with without just leaving out a whole gender, and yeah. now that's shifting and realizing there is a profound difference between yeah. men and women. It's actually interesting because there's a, another whole issue, which is Warren Farrell, uh, where he's actually been showing that a lot of the medical research on human beings in the last 30 years has been done on women. As a kind of, there's a lot more money is spent on women's health issues than on men's, and, and he sees that as imbalanced. So, what the, the the bottom line is, whatever the you know whatever the um, the way it's been done is, it's important to recognize that men and women have have very different ways their bodies work. And when it comes to coaching and full self development and spiritual practice, that's where we can see a massive leaning historically towards the masculine. It's so massive, there is almost no spiritual tradition that we can refer to that was founded by women for women. There are obscure yogini, yogini traditions in India in, within tantric traditions, but for the most part, spirituality has been heavily dominated by the masculine. I need to to ask you mm. some, I know it's on the minds of some <laughs> people, that the title yeah. of the book you, you, it's better than sex. Yeah. Uh, where did you get that title? Okay, I'll tell why you. Why did you use it? Very, very, it's a very sweet story. I was in Vienna in Austria, the birthplace of uh, Sigmund Freud and the home of Mozart and so on. And so there were a lot of very cultured people there. And on Saturday, we, we went into Radical Awakening. Now, when I guide Radical Awakening, I don't work directly with the people because I want them to experience empowerment. So they work with each other. I show them how to guide each other into radical awakening. And it's very, very effective. So they all had their experiences of, of coming home to infinite consciousness. And they went home at the end of the day. Sunday morning, they came back. So I wanted to do a check-in. I said, how's everybody doing? How was your experience of radical awakening? How is it? What's been happening overnight? Somebody said, wow, you know, I feel, I feel all the stress is poured out of my body. Somebody said, I feel like my mind has really settled down. Somebody said, you know, they said different things. And one woman, she was quiet. And she said, I don't know how to describe it. She says, I feel so good. I feel so like so much energy. I feel so, just this indescribable ecstasy. She said, it's, it's, it's better than sex. I said, thank you. I said, that's it. That's yeah. the title of my new book. Can I use that for my new book? That's, so, beautiful. Yeah. that's beautiful. That goes along uh, when I did a Vipassana mm. um, retreat. And in the retreat, it's silent, and you 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 you're asked not to have any contact with other people. So you're just within yourself the whole time. No eye contact. Mm-hmm. I found through that week, my energy was so profoundly stirred up, mm. and and it felt. I've always labeled that as sexual energy. Mm. And I was saying, oh, I'm not giving myself away. I'm not seeking approval of anyone Mm. else. Mm. I'm not taking care of anyone else. Mm. You know, even in the way I look at people and Mm. I I do some caregiving in the way I'm supporting them and being friendly or whatever I'm doing, all of that disappeared. And this energy that was vibrating in me, I usually would label sexual energy, and mm. then I realize, no, mm. it is just energy mm-hmm. that is uh, it's available to right. me. Beautiful. Yeah. So, is that what you're talking totally, about? Totally, totally. You see that 
it's just life force. You know, in 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 uh, India they call that prana. In in uh, China they call it chi. Uh, we can call it life force. You know, and when it's when it's localized in the genitals, it's sexual energy. When it moves up to the uh, belly, it becomes power. When it's moved up to the heart, it becomes love. When it's moved up to the throat, it becomes articulation and, and expression. When it moves to the top of the head, it becomes connection. It becomes connection with everything. So it's just energy, you know. And ideally, to be fully integrated human beings who can die one day with no regret, that energy is living freely and fully through every dimension of us. We want to be alive in every dimension possible. That's beautiful. I, I want to just make sure that we cover a little bit of uh, what you call heart meditation. Mm -hmm. Others might call call it Tong Lin. Yeah. So I'd love for you to say something yeah. about this energy. Yeah, this is the second of the innate brilliances, which is uh, we call absolute presence. And that simply means that a coach is going to be most effective when they are completely present with the client, free of external and internal distraction. Now, free of external distraction means you're not texting, looking at the computer. Free of internal distraction means you're not thinking about something else or rehearsing what's to say next. So, completely present. Now, generally, to be completely present with another human being is a little bit like... Uh, now, generally, being present with another human being uh, is a little bit like playing roulette. You know, sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. Occasionally you are, and mostly you're not. But there are actually tools that we can use to, when you choose to come into full presence with somebody, and it's very useful in coaching to have these tools available. The tools happen to come from the Bon tradition, which preceded Buddhism in Tibet. So it's thousands and thousands of years old. And it's a way of riding your experience on your breath. So instead of just experiencing something in this kind of watching way, which has been made popular through Vipassana or other, um, you know, watching meditations, you actually absorb with the in-breath. So you, you, you absorb thoughts and feelings and body sensations on the in-breath home into spaciousness, into consciousness, and you radiate blessing on the out-breath. You do it first with yourself, and then you extend it so that you do it with the other person too. And when, when first learning this, and we only have like a few seconds mm. left, when first learning this, it's like um, even even taking in the negative stuff, you're breathing that in, and that's like counterintuitive. Yeah, except, you know, what we quickly discover is there is nothing negative. There is yes. the, the negative is a concept in the mind. There is resisted energy and accepted energy. And we call it negative and positive. It's just resisted. Once you take the resistance off, everything is God. Everything is divine. Everything is beautiful. And then you become, that's how compassion grows because you meet another person and you're just seeing yourself in another form. If we have ideas of negative and positive, we're protecting against life. And that actually creates tension unnecessarily. Arjuna, we want to go on and on. <laughs> we <this>. do. <laughs> thank you so much for being with us today. Mm, thank you. Thank you. It's a I've pleasure. Been, Thank you. I've been speaking with Arjuna Arda. He's the author of Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching, and he's also the founder of Awakening Coaching Training. You may find him on his website, arjunaarda.com, A-R-J-U-N-A-A-R-D-A-G-H, arjunaarda.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 
3510. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.